Thank you. Um, you know, I kind of a, a week behind here as we were up uh, Thedford at the church up there. Uh, they have their Christmas program, and so we're going to catch up and, and uh, look at, um, like I said, some, some thoughts about the first coming of Christ. And uh, in the middle, where we are today, we're waiting for the second coming. Actually, we're waiting for the rapture of the church. Uh, what a wonderful thought to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the midst of this time period that we find ourselves, there's a lot of work to do. We're very blessed by the Lord that he has sent his Holy Spirit to enable us to do his great work. And so as we look at this passage, as we continue on here in chapter 2 of Revelation, uh, the church, the message to the church of Pergamum, uh, I think there's some very practical and powerful, uh, okay, so if you, if you haven't gotten a bulletin insert, please grab a bulletin and, and look at the insert, and there's one thing that's going to stick out. Because we have the message to the Church of Pergamum, I got stuck on the peas. okay? So you're going to see a lot of uh, alliteration. With the letter P today, so I'm sorry, I got a little carried away. But So it was a, about a week ago that I was really studying hard on this passage, and I think it's very important for us as we look at the message to the church uh, of Pergamum that we see how it applies to us today. And like I've said in the past, there's, there's so much here in the book of Revelation that we could touch on and really do need to touch on that I won't be able to, all the little intricacies that we should be able to look at that I won't be able to get to today in the message here uh, in a half an hour, if you believe me, that we'll do it in half an hour. And, and the title today is uh, Separate Yourselves. And we'll get into why I think of this 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 title. I really was thinking of a passage in, in Numbers before Numbers 25, which I'm a, I want to mention here in a second, but it really points to the fact that we need to be a people who are um, dedicated and committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, committed to biblical morality, biblical principles, a biblical worldview, regardless of where our culture is. And we find in the Old Testament that Israel began to fail again by compromising. And, and Numbers chapter 25, if you want to turn there, uh, mainly around verse 17. But the whole story in, the, in Numbers 25 or the historical account, we find that they were compromising through marriage and idol worship again. We find there that the leaders were weeping, that is Moses, Aaron, and the other leaders were weeping and seeking forgiveness and how to right the wrong when a tribal leader, so they're at this tent where they're meeting together and they're weeping and they're praying to the Lord for forgiveness for them and the, and the children of Israel. And as they're doing this, as they're seeking forgiveness, as they're working through this, 
one of the leader's son of Simeon, one of the tribal leader's sons, comes walking by that tent as they're having this meeting with a leader's daughter from the Midians, from the Midianites. They come past their, meet, their tent meeting and they go into their tent together. This was a, a marrying of what was supposed to be a people set apart to God. This was a marrying of a people that were set, supposed to be set apart to God with a people who worshiped false gods. So Phineas took a spear and he took care of the two. But not before 24,000 Israelites died from the plague from God as judgment. Had he not acted so viciously and so quickly, so dangerously, that was one of the challenges last night, lived dangerously. We're not called to be safe. As he went out and dangerously intervened, he spared his nation. Verse 17 of Numbers 25 says, Be hostile to the Midianites and strike them, for they have been hostile to you with their tricks. Notice, this was out of trickery with which they have deceived you in the affair of Peor and in the affair of Cosby, the daughter of the leader of Midian, their sister who was slain on the day of the plague because of Peor. It was dangerous not to take a stance against the Midianites and their false religion. Their position as they camped near Midian should, have, should not have changed their willingness to follow and obey the Lord God. And so I want to challenge you today with this thought. Where we are placed must not dictate the position we take, and I should say a negative position there's some blessings in a lot of areas. And, and to be frank, in some places where there's persecution, it is a blessing that they're being persecuted because the, through persecution a lot of times, there's this refining of the church. And so there's bad things in a nation where you're persecuted, but there's also good aspects. In a nation where we have all these freedoms, there's some wonderful things that we can take advantage of and we should but there's also other bad aspects that creep in such as apathy because it comes so easy the freedoms we have the freedom to worship the lord and so people don't see the blessings that they can have in a wonderful free relationship with jesus christ so as we dig into chapter 2 of revelation starting at verse 12 there are three positions or places, because as I was studying this passage, I noticed every time, he's talking about a position, where you are, where you, I see you, I know where you are, the position you are, where you live. <laughs> and so there are three positions or places that we should evaluate in this passage. Let's evaluate the first position in verse 12 and 13, follow along as I read this, and to the angel of the church in Pergamum write. So some of you who are here, haven't been here, um, 
I've already talked about this. It's, it's to one of the leaders of the church of Pergamum. He was supposed to take it back and relay this message. The one who has a sharp two-edged sword says this. So going back to that vision that John had in chapter 1, pointing to Jesus Christ, the images of Jesus Christ that he had are powerful and they are symbolic and they're to get a point across, no pun intended, with the double-edged sword, Okay. Anyway, verse 13, I know where you dwell, and we've seen that before. Remember the intimacy of the Lord and and the knowledge of the Lord. I know where you dwell. Notice where the place where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, that's still a position, and you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful, faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Notice dwells, all right? And so this first position I want you to look at or evaluate is is that position of perseverance. And it is a powerful position. It is. If you're someone who's willing to persevere and continue at it, that is a powerful position. Don't give up. Sometimes we have, like last week I talked about bearing under the pressure for so long you're sick of it, but you need to understand the longer you bear under, the more glory will come to your precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is a powerful position, and it is, this position is a preferred place. I told you I had a lot of alliteration with the P's. But notice, I want you to understand that this preferred place is a a place under the care of the one with the two-edged sword, and I think that's significant. I think we really need to grab a hold of and see all that's enmeshed with this vision of Jesus Christ, who is the one with the two-edged sword. And in verse 16 of chapter 1 of Revelation, out of his mouth came the two-edged sword. The one with the two-edged sword, out of his mouth. What comes out of your mouth? Words. Who is the word? The Lord Jesus Christ, John 1. Remember? Now, two-edged sword is also an emblem that pointed to the right of a government to judge. The judgment of a government upon people. Judgment with the sword also we see in Revelation 19, 15. From his mouth, that is Jesus, comes a sharp two sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the almighty at the end of the tribulation Jesus is going to put an end to all this nasty wicked evilness but judgment two-edged sword points to judgment and here judgment at the end of the tribulation Here for these people, it's judgment for them. Hold fast to Jesus. If you do not hold fast to Jesus who is the word, his word will slay you and judge you. It will judge you and slay you. Remember there in Pergamum, those who wield the two-edged sword is the government. The Roman government was using judgment against these believers. They were being persecuted. Note the next verse, verse 13. But let's go back to this, this thought about how in the Bible we have this, this, this equation between the word of God 
and the double two-edged sword or the sword. Now, the Word of God, the Bible, is powerful, isn't it? Hebrews 4.12, the Word is, is powerful and effective and sharper than any two-edged sword. We also find that John 1, the Word of God, and it's no coincidence that the Word of God, who is Jesus, Jesus the Word, has a two-edged sword from his mouth. Jesus has the power to judge. Jesus, who is the Word in flesh. Jesus, who is the Word, who is fulfilling the Word of God, the promises of God. He who fills the Word is the Word. We are to hold fast to the Word. We are to hold fast to Jesus. So under his care, by believing in the word and obeying the word, the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a place of protection. It goes on to say in here in verse 1, I know, remember the place of intimacy that Jesus has for you. He's in a relation. I hope that you know him as your personal savior and have a relationship with him. But we need to hold fast to his name, right? Look at this in verse 13. Who hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith. Now that my faith is a little hard to discern. What is he talking about here? Uh, The best I can discern as simply and quickly as I can state it is I believe that we can trust that Jesus is trustworthy, even in the days of Antipas, what happened? Antipas was martyred. Now my witness, it goes Antipas, my witness. Uh, witness in the Greek is martyrion, where we get martyr. So we have taken, and maybe it's from this point on, maybe this was a beginning. Martyr comes from the Greek word witness. Witness, this witness was killed, and witnesses for Jesus were often killed. Thus we began to use the Greek word, transliterate it, and this is the ones that die as a witness about Jesus Christ. They are martyrs. Witnesses who die in proclamation of Jesus Christ. And so... You know, preferred place is under the care of Jesus, but this place that we should prefer is also a place of persecution. And as it was in the days of Pergamum, why were they being persecuted? Well, let's look at this passage and try to understand it just a little better. Uh, It goes on, you know, at the very beginning of verse 13, where Satan's throne is. Well, what's Satan's throne? I mean, they resided here in Pergamum. Well, Pergamum uh, was even more dedicated to emperor worship, that is, worship of the Roman leader, more dedicated to that than Smyrna was. And we talked about Smyrna already. Uh, so it could just be in reference, this government seat where you are, where they're worshiping the emperor, this is a, the throne of Satan in reference to the empire in reference to the worship of the Roman emperor. And they have the judgment, they have the ability, pardon me, to judge. It could be that this Satan's throne could be the shrine of Eclipios, 
who was noted as a god of healing, and what they would do in the temple of Eclipios, I'm probably saying that wrong, uh, they would, would feed live serpents in this temple, uh, so sick people would go there. They would let these serpents, they were non-venomous serpents, snakes, roam around this temple. They would worship them. People who wanted healed would come and spend the night in the temple hoping that one of these serpents would touch them because they thought if it touched them as they slept there in the night with all the lights off that they would be healed. And we all know the, the allusion to who Satan is in the Garden of Eden. So perhaps it's that. It could be the throne of Satan because uh, the big shrine dedicated to Augustus and the goddess Roma was there. Or the huge, tremendously huge statue of Zeus was there. There were many other gods that were worshipped there. But he also goes on in this passage. So you're like, well, what what conclusion do you have? Well, uh, I might get to it. I don't know. but they also, it goes on to say, where Satan dwells. They dwell where Satan dwells. There's great paganism here, and there's great persecution. We look at, here it has an illustration or the example of Antipas, who they stood up with, who was a witness uh, of the Lord and died for it. And they held firm and stood up with Antipas. And so this is commendation or This is, hey, this is what you've done well. You need to continue to cling to the Lord Jesus Christ, to his name, and continue to bear under the pressure of persecution. And so this is a great compliment that no matter them being in a place of horrendous paganism and persecution, they did not let it affect their stance or position that they took in their faith. They willingly stood in the right position even though they faced persecution. And so it's just a challenge here, I believe, that as we look at the church of Pergamum, that we need to stand firm regardless of where we live in the cultural norms that are being set. In evaluating the second position, I think we could say there's a putrid putrid position of passiveness. Thesaurus is a dangerous thing for a pastor, okay? But there was tolerance and a lack of separation in the church of Pergamum. And this, this tolerance is a putrid position. Let's read verse 14 through 15. But I have a few things against you because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block, this trickery, before the sons of Israel. That's why I read Numbers 25 or mentioned it. To eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality So you also have some who, in the same way, hold the teaching of of the Nicolaitans. Nicolaitans. What is a putrid position? Well, they hold on to, the Greek word, it could be hold or grasp. 
What do you grasp onto? What do you hold on to? My coffee cup mug, right? Maybe it's got water in it. For me, it'd be coffee. Coffee? Good. Attaboy. All right, anyway. <laughs> what do you grasp in your life? What's number one? These people were holding on to false teaching. They were grasping onto some false teaching that was destroying the church of Pergamum. And, and this teaching, the first one he mentions, those who hold to the teaching of Balaam. Well, Balaam was a prophet who valued money more than obedience, right? Back in Numbers, he was the one that was riding the donkey and the donkey spoke to him. He was the one that says, oh, I can't curse them. But finally at the end, he says, well, I can tell you what to do. <laughs> Balak, trick them. Lead them to sin. Cause them to sin, and you can have success against them. So Balaam showed Balak how to put a stumbling block in front of the children of Israel. And that's where the 24,000 people, the Jews, why they died because they had fell into sexual perversion or intermarrying with those who were pagan worshipers and therefore idolatry. And here note that they, they, sac- they, they ate things, sacrificed to idols, and they committed acts of immorality. The sins of participation in idolatrous feasts and sexual immorality were so characteristic of the pagan surroundings in Asia Minor, that is for the Church of Pergamum and the others, that many people believe that there's a literal sense of this passage is to be preferred, that they were literally engaging in ritualistic idol worship. It wasn't just like when Paul was talking about certain things, right? It wasn't just about going to the marketplace and buying meat and not realizing it was sacrificed to idols. They believed they were engaging in pagan worship. And then it goes on, acts of immorality. Now, I honestly believe that where we see uh, people today didn't just happen overnight. Uh, if I've ever said, hey, I like that show, and you've gone and watched it, it's from 20 years ago, and like, oh, that's not that good. Uh, please forgive me. Because recently I have gone back to watch a show, and I'm like, oh, good grief. It was here all along. I believe I've said it before, I think that there is dem- uh, demonic influence when you get into sexual perverse sins. That includes men, pornography. And our nation is wrought with it. And so as I stand up here and I might say, hey, we've got to stand up, and you're thinking, well, it's all against them. It starts at the very tip of the iceberg where our nation is crumbling, men's lives and women's lives are being destroyed by this pornographic industry that is 
running rampant, and it has not stopped, has it? The news about the pedophilia coming out and other gross and grave sins that are coming out in our culture and in the, in the media about this happening, that happening, it's just a continuation of what started many, many years ago. We have to be careful. We have to stand firm, fixing our eyes on Jesus. But here, I want to draw back your attention back to the passage. He starts out talking about the putrid position of those holding to the teaching of Balaam and then those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Nicolaitans, when you look at it, uh, the translations, it can mean conquerors of the people, which can tie it to Balaam and Balak and what they did where they tricked and they co- tried to conquer people. But a lot, of, a lot of theologians say, well, there's two groups here that he's talking about. Uh, some say, well, they're, they're the same thing, and pointing to one to the other. The result is the same. That's what we know for sure, that they're, they're, they're you know, eating things, sacrificed to idols, engaged in this idol worship, and committing acts of immorality. And it's the same way, and I think I may have mentioned that it's a lot like Gnosticism, but Nicolaitans, they, they were different. It was a different teaching. came out about the same time, and they ended up with the same grave sins That's what we do know, but a lot of people say, no, they're not the same. They are not the same. Some commentaries in your Bibles, if you have a study Bible, say they may be Christians. I don't know if they're believers or not. I doubt many of them were. I believe and I think that many Christians, true believers, can be sucked into false teachings. And so there were definitely probably those who were being sucked into some false teaching. We ought to remember that even Jesus said, be careful. There are wolves in sheep's clothing. And I believe that those who are transgendered men are wolves in sheep's clothing, seeking those to devour. And you say, well, they're just sinners. Yes, they need Jesus. Do not excuse their sin. It is a grave, grave sin that, that is very destructive and our children are going to pay the price if we don't stand up. But note, it's not just the people in this passage who had a horrible position. It is that they were among them. <laughs> note this as I read it. I have a few things against you because you have there's some who hold the teaching of Balaam. Verse 15. So you also have some who in the same way holds. So it wasn't that they were all following a false teaching, but they had people in their ranks who had been suckered into false teaching. And they were just letting it slide. And so we find in the next verse, in verse 16, therefore repent. Repent. 
Their location in a city of persecution was okay as long as they were not permissive of those within the church who were being led astray. We are in the world, but not of the world. It is a different thing, and I want, to, I want you to understand something. It is completely different. Uh, well, it is, but it isn't, and it, it, it gets to a personal level, right? Of a person who has pet sins or sins that they're struggling with, and they want to get rid of them, or someone who has sins and is repenting and trying to change their life. This is not what he's talking about. He's not saying get rid of these people. What he's talking about is get rid of the people who are teaching that you can do whatever you want, anytime you want, regardless of the consequences. He's talking about those who are teaching things that were horrible and wrong within the church. They were to get rid of them. They would always be in a secular culture, well, to some extent, right? But they were to repent of their permissiveness of those within the church. They were to repent of their weak stance. We'll get into this in just a little bit. But I want to point out that, you know, we mentioned Numbers 25. A few chapters before Numbers 25, remember the story of Korah? And he was challenging the the leadership of Moses and Aaron. After they had been following Moses and Aaron for a long time. Then God shows Korah and all the Israelites that he had chosen Moses and Aaron. And yet here comes Korah again. And so finally God said to Moses and Aaron in Numbers 16, 20... In Numbers 16, 20, then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, separate yourselves from among the congregation that I may consume them instantly. But they fell on their faces and said, O God, God of the spirits of all flesh, when one man sins, will you be angry with the entire congregation? And so in Numbers 16, 23 Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the congregation saying, get back from around the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abram. Then Moses arose and went to Dathan and Abram with the elders of Israel following him. And he spoke to the congregation saying, depart now from the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing that belongs to them or you will be swept away in their sin. Separate yourselves. We cannot separate ourselves from people, from a culture when we live within it in a sense of moving geographically, but we can separate ourselves in that we will not buy into the lies of Satan and we will not say it is okay. In verse 31, we find the earth opened up and swallowed up Korah and all those who were with him. God judged them. If they had not separated themselves, they would have been swallowed up as well. Sometimes we must run, and other times we must take our spear like Phineas and deal with the issue up front and personal. Where we are placed, it cannot dictate a bad stance. 
it must not cause us to have a bad stance. Finally, evaluating the third position. I'll try to get through this real quick, okay? We have the perceptive position of permanence. Where will you spend eternity? All right, get away from the peas. Where are you going to spend eternity? What about your neighbors? What about the people within our nation and people throughout the world? Where will they spend eternity? Because there's two places. There's a place of perdition, of judgment, of hell. We talked about that last week. Remember the story I just relayed. There's a blast zone. If they did not separate themselves from Korah and his crew, they were going to be swallowed up. You see, sometimes uh, movie actors or football players, when they make a touchdown, they'll drop the football and act like it's a grenade and fall backwards or something. There's a blast zone, right? We find here in this passage, it says, Therefore repent, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them. He's not making war against the church, but against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes. To him I will give some of, and I'll get to this just a minute, but there's a blast zone. He says, you need to separate yourselves. I'm going to make war against them. That's dangerous. (laughs) To be on the wrong side is very dangerous. Jesus was going to wage war, and he said, church, you need to repent. You need to deal with them. You need to take care of it, or you're going to be caught up in the crossfire. You're going to be caught up in the blast zone. And some say, hey, this judgment, this is pointing towards Revelation chapter 19 when Jesus comes again. I don't think so. But I have been wrong before, okay? It's all right if you disagree with me. I think he's talking about, I'm going to judge you at some point in time if you don't take care of this. And it's different than the judgment in when he comes in Revelation 19, the second coming of Christ. And we talked about last week, there is a place of eternal death. Unless we look to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, unless we believe in him and confess, repent of our sin, we're headed to hell and the second death. But if we believe, we will be placed in paradise. And for this church, he says, okay, so in verse 17, there's some words I just need to talk about real quick because it's confusing, right? To him who overcomes. We talked about that in past. There's believers and unbelievers. Believers will overcome. You have overcome. To him I will give some of the hidden manna. Well, what's that talking about? And I will give him a white stone. And a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. Okay, I just want to talk about the hidden manna here. It could be future reward when the struggle is over. It could be Christ is the bread of heaven. We've seen that in the, in, in the Gospels, right? Especially in John. Christ is the bread of heaven and the present spiritual food of the saints, that he's the one that sustains us now. The pot of manna and the ark of the covenant within the tabernacle. And remember, so there's this connection with Uh, Balaam and Balak, the reference there to this pot of manna. And so we look at this view of what they were seeing. They were coming out of the wilderness. They had the ark, and within the ark of the covenant was this pot of manna to remind them this is how God provided for you. No matter what it's referring to here is God's your provision, your eternal provision, right? So it could be a view of heavenly ark with hidden manna and therefore heavenly food of God's people, as opposed to food offered to idols. So there's a lot of things we could, well, that, well, this is a connection here, and here's a connection there. But here's a quote. It could say, 
quote, the symbolism of future reward, an allusion to Christ as the true manna and present satisfaction of believers with the spiritual bread as a foretaste of future fullness in the background of the hidden manna. Anybody get that? Jesus is your life and your sustainer. That's what they say for this church and for us. That's probably what it means. What about the white stone? There's a lot of pagan rituals with white stones, but none of them with names on them. Well, not white stones, colored stones. We're going to cast out all the pagan rituals. Uh, It's hard to identify because in the Bible, most of those don't match up. There's either numbers on stones, colored stones with names, or none of them white stones with names. There is, when they ran a race and did something really rewarding, they would be given a stone in their culture in that day. We don't have a lot of information about it. It's called a tessera. But it was like a ticket, and there would be a word written on it, and it would give them special privileged position to go into these, a place where they're celebrating a victory or something that went well, or a special celebration. And so a lot of people think, well, that's probably what it's pointing to. And so perhaps it refers to a future great messianic feast as a token of administration admission that is this this is their ticket to paradise right this is a ticket that says you have overcome what it's pointing to them and i think it meant something specific for them is that they have an eternal home with the lord jesus christ but there's a new name i'll just simply say instead of giving you all the options i'm just going to tell you that most likely it's another name that is of superior quality that says, you have done well. So where are we placed? What do you think of our culture? You know, I think it's far more dangerous when we don't have huge battles waging before us than it is when they're like, whoa, look at what's going on. I think it's far more dangerous if we have an attitude of apathy, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And this church, even though they had faced persecution, had permissiveness or maybe apathy towards those who needed corrected within their ranks. And when you have that position, it is a very dangerous position. You know, we have to be people. And and we we should understand that, um, you know, I might get into certain things because of where I live and how I grew up. And so I might naturally think this is God's will that I engage in these things whether it be politics or something else. So I need to step back and say, is that just because of where I grew up? Or is it because the Bible is leading me to make a, take a strong stance against certain things? Is it because of where I grew up? Or is it because I'm walking with the Lord Jesus Christ and following his lead, being someone who is sensitive to the Spirit? On the other end, I could be someone who is apathetic 
And I can think, you know, all this stuff, it's, it's not mine, it's God's, I shouldn't take care of it. You know, we have Sunday school teachers, we have politicians, they take care of that. I need to just take care of my own life. That might be my inclination, that might be my position as I've grown up. What I'm saying is, where you believe you stand may not be where you should be standing. And you may be someone over here looking at others who are engaged in, in, in Sunday school or politics, and you may be saying that's wrong, and God wants you engaged. You may be standing over here fully engaged, and you may be really, really uh, animated like I am at times about things, but God's saying, hey, step back and wait just a little bit. Now, you know what I believe. I think the Bible and where we live today gives us the opportunity to engage in a culture that needs Jesus. And and I believe if we do that, it gives us the opportunity to engage in other cultures and other nations. I don't want to lose that. I don't want to lose being able to engage in other cultures, sending missionaries freely but I still have to follow Jesus, right? So my challenge to you today, what type of person are you? Where do you stand? Right? What, what's your inclinations? And are you doing what God wants you to do or are you doing what's comfortable? And if you're willing to ask the right questions and seek the Lord's will, you will do what he wants. I believe if you seek him out, if you spend time evaluating the word, studying the word, and letting it um, change you from the inside out, you will follow him where he wants you to go. You will do what he wants you to do and say what he wants you to say. I think there's a song, right? Be engaged in following Jesus. Hold fast to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, you know where each one of us fails, where each one of us is stubborn, where each one of us excels. And um, only through you, Lord, can we learn not only who we are, but where we need, the next steps we need to take. You know our needs. You know our hurts. But you also, Lord God, you've also called us beyond those to be engaged in good deeds. And those things, Lord, I believe... um, are things that we can't say each one of us have the same thing, same actions, same deeds. We all have the same thing that we need to do. So help us not to be critical of others who are engaged in other things, but that we would be more engaged in what you've called each one of us. I guess I'm probably, Lord, I'm, 
I want us to be a people who are following you and not following an ideal. Help us to follow you, Lord, in everything. Regardless of what's going on around us, that we are a people that fully committed to serving and obeying you, doing what it is that you want each one of us to do, which may be different, we understand that, and it may not. So give us the wisdom and the vision. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning is, is the, the first Sunday of the month, so we're going to take up offering for our missionaries. Um, I do encourage you in the, in the